Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message from the Kalamazoo, Michigan campus. For more info on the church, visit newdaycommunity.org. Well, we want to give the mic over to John and uh, um, be free to minister. Okay, thank you, Cameron. Wow. Just... uh, just to say, that was, that was a great talk that Dan shared this morning, wasn't it? And maybe some of you were relieved that Dan can do more than just uh, say Ariba and stuff. That he actually, has, he actually has a really good theological mind. So it's, it's kind of reassuring, isn't it? That you can have both. You, you can be very full of the Holy Spirit, and uh, you can also think about things and, you know, find your way around th- some tedious theological issues. So we were just, just going, okay, so the, we want to put the spirit first, then the mind, and then the, then, the, then the physical, the body, and you need to take care of the physical body or else... A healthy spirit isn't going to help you be more effective in ministry. You know, so there's a, there's a lot of interaction. You know, we really are a trinity. And so when you go ahead and get your mind renewed, just remember that it's, uh, you need a healthy body, but, you, but the spirit needs to be, be the main lead there. So all very good. Lots to think about. The world's waiting for somebody to get it all figured out just right and become like Jesus and just start a revolution across the face of the earth. So who knows, it might be you. But we desperately need revival and uh, we are not about to compromise on that one. So any questions so far? Because you're all leaders here. So this is, I like it when there's some you know, when, when you get answers and where you have an opportunity at least to, to ask things, and we might say we don't know, but what's your question, Packer? Yeah, you know, to, to, to endeavor to stay childlike is actually one of my, my intentions, one of my goals. And um, I base that on Luke chapter 10, where the 70 returned. Do you remember the story? And, and they're all excited because even demons are subject to us. And Jesus kind of calms them down a little bit about that and said, okay, that's all good, but get excited about the fact that your name is written in heaven. So there's a good emphasis right there, just to, wow, your name is written in heaven. Yeah. It's more important than having authority over demons and, and even doing miracles. Because we often just say, oh, yeah, well, that happened ages ago, but... We're chomping for, and eager for more. Anyway, he seemingly just pulls aside from that for just a personal prayer time. And he says, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, 
that you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned, and you've revealed them unto children. For that was your good pleasure. And that scripture has challenged me and bothered me and because you know, what he's not saying is away with the mind and away with good theology and everything else. But what he's, what he's saying is that uh, knowledge, if you, if you don't watch it, tends to puff up, meaning that arrogance can come from that. Amen. Where, well, we know, don't we? We know better than that, don't we? And, you know, we, there just comes a pride with thinking you know more than other people know. And, but he's putting the, the value on being childlike and being able to trust and, and get excited. You've hidden these things. See, part of my calling, or part of who I am, is an evangelist. And so I love to see people come to Jesus, and I love to hit on every group. And if I thought I was missing the wise and learned over there, I might tweak my message to get them too. And we know people who have a ministry to reaching the, the corporate leaders and the CEOs and all the, all the wise and learned, you know, and that's, that's a good thing. But uh, the other side of it is people who um, intentionally, unintentionally let pride into their lives are starting to handicap themselves now for um, the revelation of the things of the Spirit. So pride is not a friend. Now you can be smart and humble because Jesus was. And so that's, that's the look we're going for. And he hid, intentionally has hidden these things, the working of the Holy Spirit from the wise and learned. How do you feel about that? Why do you do that? Because that was his good pleasure. Just pleased him. He liked it that way. He can do that. He's God. But he's revealed it now to babes and little children. Why do you do that? Because that pleased him. He just wanted to do it that way. And uh, I don't know if you've ever struggled with... Uh, why does God move more in developing countries than he does back home? How many have ever wrestled with that one? You know, we, we used to go to Latin America every year for many, many years since the mid-80s. And we would be amazed at how it works down there. You know, the people get healed. We do a jail service. Every prisoner got saved. Every prisoner got healed of something. We went door to door in Bluefields, Nicaragua. And uh, Nicole was with me, her and I as a team, went to all these little houses, shacks, you know, door to door. Is there anybody sick? We've, we've come to bless you, want to pray? Yeah, grandma's here or whatever. Pray for them, they'd be healed. Every single one. And you're like, it really works down here. It takes you about three days to kind of ramp up that it's really working down there and then you come home takes you about three days to figure out it doesn't work so well up here so what's going on and I don't have a complete answer on that one but a part of it is he loves to reveal these things 
to the to the poor, to the childlike, to the unsophisticated, who are the first to say, "Well, we don't we don't know much. You know, we're just trusting God for a meal today." Those kind of things. And so, I I I try to walk in that, knowing that pride and arrogance is not my friend. So. Titles are, are not something that I aspire to. I just want to be a little boy with a big daddy. Yeah? So I don't need to be Dr. So-and-so. I don't need to be um, like Alan, Alan's tongue-in-cheek title was Chief, Chief Prophetic Apostolic Voice to the Nations. <laughs> Alan Jones, our friend from Nashville now. And, uh, yeah, because Jesus just went by Jesus, didn't he? Most of the time, rabbi, okay, meaning teacher. And Peter just went by Peter, and, uh, and uh, Jesus gave him a nickname, called him Rocky. James and John, you know, the Thunder Boys. But, they, you know, they, they, they weren't highfalutin. They, they, he taught them humility. And so when you just realize that you're nobody special, we're just, Carol and I remind ourselves, we're just the donkeys carrying the presence of the king. And so whenever he uses you to do a miracle, it's amazing to me. And may it be amazing to you, because no one knows better than you do, that it, it had nothing to do with you and everything to do with him. So the root of that is, I think, orphanness, not in, in a spiritual sense. I'm, I'm not casting any aspersions on people who are actually orphans or partially with no father, whatever, but just the fact that... Um, we grew up in dysfunctional homes for the most part. And we learned things like, if you're going to get anything done, you need to just get out and do it yourself because it's not going to happen otherwise. And so there's orphan tendencies where we assert ourselves and we, we, we push our limited knowledge to make it appear that we, we have an edge over people or we're, you know, sophisticated or we're, we have a persona, right, that goes along with what we've learned and what we do. And I think it works against us. So humility is high value with the Lord. Now, how does that connect to being excited about it all? I think it's just an appreciation of here we go again. There's another miracle. Right. I love watching it. Yeah, Jerry. What is key to going beyond just enjoying the presence of God to um, working with the presence of God in a service? To enjoy the presence of God. Well, I really think it's, I, th I think you, you get filled up so you can give it away. And the more filled up you get, the, 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 the better you are able to hear his voice. And when you're in a service, uh, a lot of times you have to think on your feet, if you know what I mean. And so it's like, Lord, what do you want to do? I'm just, 
I just, I, I, I don't have anything. I'm just drawing a blank right now. Like, what do you want to do? I'm on in a minute. And, and so he'll just put something in your heart. Let's do that. So when, when, you're, when it's a clear channel without a lot of interference, it's really easier to hear him. But Jesus made the statement, I only do what I see my father doing. I only say what I hear my father speaking. I would really like to be able to say that with all integrity. But we try. But And so when you flow with him, I'm always asking him, like, Lord, is this you? Lord, is what do you want to do? Uh, do we push in on that or do we leave it and go somewhere else? Or do you want to do healing or do, what do you want to do? I mean, you know, it's just a, what I've learned to do, I think. Um, Learning to get up and talk in front of people uh, where, it's, where it's connected with heaven. I mean, that's, so there's a, there's a natural thing where I think we all start, every, every public speaker to begin with is a poor public speaker. And so you're, you're so self-conscious, you're worried about what do I look like, do I think I'm, do they think I'm weird? Did I comb my hair? Did I, whatever, you know, you're, you're just too preoccupied with things like that. But when you get into the things of the Holy Spirit, you, you, that can go away to a large degree, and you can begin to hear his voice. Um, to fast track it, I recommend our five-day school of ministry. And what that school does is it covers our uh, four core values of partners, how to hear the voice of God. Now, I spent many years as a Christian, didn't know how to do that, didn't know that it was possible to do that. And God bless Mark Verkler, you know, that he changed our lives in the, in the 80s with that. That was one of the cream bottles. And then uh, John and Paula Sanford talked to us about healing of the heart. And Jack Winter came and taught us about um, the father heart of God and the, the importance of having a love relation and, and, a, and, a, and a revelation of God the Father. So those are all uh, powerful sort of foundational issues where we jump off from on all those things. And uh, yeah, makes makes a huge big difference because you, you want to be able to flow with what he wants to do. So it's not that difficult and, you know, to be successful in supernatural ministry. You just hear what the Father wants to do and do it. Right? I mean, when I often think of in, in Matthew 10, uh, where Jesus sends out the 12. He says, okay. This is their very first ministry trip on their own now. They've been with him, but now he's sending them out. Go out two by two, and here's what I want you to do. Uh, preach the good news of the kingdom, meaning declare it. Get up on a soapbox and just tell people, heaven is within your reach. And then demonstrate the kingdom. Tell them, show them that it's not just words, but there's a supernatural backup coming to it. So, 
heal the sick, cleanse the lepers. We're okay so far. Raise the dead. Cast out demons. So I always wished he'd left raise the dead off that list because that sounds like the advanced class to me. Right? But no, that's there. And he said, okay, everybody clear? You know what to do? Got it? Everybody clear? Go do it. I just finished reading uh, Steve Stewart's book, uh, The Journey, he called it. He asked me to do a foreword for it. And see, it's just a, a, a whole compiling of short little miracle stories about everywhere they go for, uh, on, on the mission field and to third world countries and developing countries. He's been to India, he's been to Africa, he's been to Thailand and the Philippines and all over the place and takes teams with them. And they go into these remote places that takes them a day to get in and walk there and whatever else. And you know, the story's about everybody's healed and ma major miracles happening, multiplying food, and on and on and on it goes. And so you, you just need to expose yourself to that kind of thing so that you, this becomes something that is a part of your experience. Has there anybody here never been on a short-term mission? Never been? One, two, three, four, five, okay, six. Uh, you owe it to yourself get your passport and go on a short-term mission. Uh, we do them, Cameron does them, many of us do them, and you just go. And what you learn is that God will use little old you and those two hands of yours to actually be an extension of the hands of Jesus to do this, these things. And then you too will be amazed, like, wow, the person's headache got healed when I prayed. It's amazing, because you know it wasn't you. Yeah. Uh, it's called The Journey by Steve Stewart. And uh, he's just republishing it. And uh, it's just wonderful bedtime stories about how pe people get uh, healed and miracles and this, that, and the other. And there's about, I don't know, it seemed like 100 stories in the thing. Yes. coming along, um, how did you and Kira, were, were, there, were there times where both of you all disagreed or disagreed with each other because of your religious backgrounds and had to come to a consensus on the move? With Carol and I? No. Carol has always looked to me as her mentor because uh, I was saved about when was she saved? 72 or 3, somewhere in there. So I had like 15 or so years on her. And so, yeah, she was Lutheran, got saved, a uh, couple of years of Benny Hinn, Catherine Kuhlman, and then we got married, you know. And so she, she was always like keen to learn. So she defers to me. On, on a lot of the biblical stuff, but more and more has her own, her own views. But no, that was never an issue. But now, um, like, I'll let, me, let me back up on that. She, she would be more, 
discerning sometimes. Uh, I'm not comfortable with that lady. I'm like, come on, she's just a lady. You know, I'm just, well, no, I'm you know, just whatever. And so she would, she would get discernment that I learned over time to listen to. Because she was right again and again. You know. <laughs> What's that? Too long. <laughs> well, Carol, Carol put down and said, right, we are not hiring any senior staff unless they have taken our one-week school as a minimum and a one-week restoring the foundations with restoring the foundations, Chester and Betsy Kilstrom. Period. No, no arbitration, no compromise, nothing. That's just the way it'll be. Well, see, that has saved us again and again because when people deal with the issues of their heart, now you, no, that doesn't mean they're perfect. It just means now we have language to be able to say, you know what, I'm, I just see this coming up and again and again, and, and do we need to pray through something here? And they don't take it like a put-down criticism. They take it as a helpful, you care about me, uh, and let's work together to be better people. So she was right about that, and because a lot of times when you're in mover mode, you know, you need an accountant, and you need him right away, and you can't be fiddling around trying to, you know, put them all through this or that he inner healing school, because we got to get this job done. And she'd be like, no, I don't care. <laughs> and when we have given on that and said, well, why don't we put them in place and maybe they'll, we can catch them up at, at the next school that's coming up in three or four months. Somehow or other, that never uh, happens. There's always a reason why they can't do that school right then. And so... Uh, that gets into the whole topic of building uh, your staff and a, and a team, which is a huge topic in and of itself. But make sure they get the core values. And so it, it's just one of the things that has given us longevity. We had a, a gal come who um, was a, the, a niece of someone we worked with years ago. And, and, uh, and so anyway, she... Was, is now working for a church in a nearby city, Hamilton, and just got so beat up in that situation and so disillusioned with leaders and on and on. Her and her husband were in Toronto, and they said, why don't we go over to the airport just to see how they're doing? And she took the, 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 the notice page, you know, like the, that's handed out, and she's shocked that John and Carol are still there, Steve and Sandra are still there, Jeremy and Connie are still there, um, all these people are still there, John and Patricia Bootsman. And how is this possible that 20 years on, uh, the, the same team is in place? And so we never thought about it. But she wrote me this great long email about how that saved her life. Just that somebody had some longevity and was making this relational thing work. And uh, yeah, so what we do is we... We, we want people rooted and grounded in the Father's love, first of all. Secondly, we want them to be healed up in their hearts. 
not to perfection, but, you know, to a degree. And uh, let me just pause there for a minute because we have two schools of thought on it, maybe. Uh, and one is, you need a revelation of the Father's love, and that's all you need. If you're still having problems, get a deeper revelation. And then the other camp is saying, what you need is inner healing and deliverance. And if you're still having problems, you need to take it deeper. So you get this dynamic where, um, where people will diagnose you according to your own expertise. So, for example, if you go to a chiropractor, what's he tell you? You need a chiropractic treatment. If you go to an oncologist, what does he tell you? You need chemo. If you go to a surgeon, what does he tell you? You need surgery. And if you go to an oil lady, what does she tell you? You need this oil or that oil. <laughs> Everybody does that. They diagnose you according to their own expertise. And I do that, and so do you. And so what we want to do is be as broad in that Come as we on. can be. And say, wait a minute. Maybe you need both. Maybe you need a revelation of the Father's love, because that's foundational after all, right? Rooted and grounded in love. But then you also need the inner healing. And I found that people who major in one or the other, are res they're resistant to the other. And there's father heart guys that, one guy that I have in mind that we know real well, he was just carrying it just so good, but he resisted the inner healing one. And we confronted him on it no less than three times, lovingly, and saying, you know, it's just noticed that a lot of times when you're an expert in something, you don't value the, some of the other ministries that are around. And so... We like to see people deal with those issues of the heart and actually forgive their fathers and mothers and get out from under all of that stuff so it takes no energy to keep it suppressed. It's just done, dealt with. And in this particular case, the guy just messed up big time. Guess why? He's looking for love in all the wrong places. So... Another thing that helps is the life languages. And we've done the DISC test, we've done the Myers-Briggs, there's a number of them out there, and they're all good. But the, but the life languages was very helpful because it kind of told you what your primary way of communicating is and how everyone is different. And I remember when we first did the DISC test, um, it, was, it was a revelation to all of us that people didn't think the way you think. It's like, really? That's how you think? Yeah. Huh. And so it was no wonder that we would miscommunicate sometimes, yeah? But when you do the life languages, you just have an appreciation for the fact that some are responders and, and some, some are influences and, and, and some are movers and and some are doers i mean you know it's just and you you can sort of list your three main ones and and work with that it helps you to interact with people that are different so all these things that what we do along the way is very very helpful yeah we do we do a leaders retreat and we had 
had the gal come in, this is years ago when we first did that, but she came in and presented the whole thing. So with the life languages one, we've had people graduate from our three-week school saying, well, the highlight for the school for me was the, those life languages because they learned that the husband thinks different than the wife, you know. Who knew? <laughs> yeah, good stuff. And I think you go online, take the test, it's about 30 bucks or whatever, and then have someone come in and tell you what it all means. And the good part about that is there's no, um, everybody's valued. You know, it values everybody for, for who they are. But it also tells, here's, here's, here's what you're like in your strength, but here's what you're like under pressure. Here's your overreactions here. Ooh. Right? It's good stuff. Yes, back here. I mean, is this what you want to do, Cameron? Just answer questions all afternoon? Yeah. Well, we, we got kicked out of our own denomination, you know, for, for being imbalanced. Yeah, yeah, well, that's, that's my question. Yeah. And so, whether that was true or not, we'll just have to wait and see what the Lord says. Yeah, sometimes I talk them through. But, you know, it's, it's more tame now than it used to be. It's not just that we're used to it. We're somewhat used to it. I mean, I'm used to Dan and, 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 and Dan-type stuff, and, and I love it. I really do. You know why I love it? Because it releases the anointing in the room, unbeknownst to people mostly. But it just, it's the Holy Spirit feels, I'm free to do what I want to do in here. And so that's not to say that everybody's free to do what they want to do because demons are not free to do what they want to do. If I pick up on that, we deal with it. But the Holy Spirit can do whatever he wants to do, and we welcome that because it's life and it's joy and it's, it's all the, it's the, it's the nine fruit and the nine gifts, isn't it? And, and we want that. And why everybody wouldn't want that, I don't know. But in my church... We want that. So on the one hand, we do not want deception. We do not want counterfeit. We do not want emotional excess. That is just the flesh. But we do want the Holy Spirit coming and powerfully moving on the hearts and lives of people. Right? Now, why wouldn't everybody want that? 
Well, the reasoning goes, well, because you have new people coming in and they don't understand that. And so for their sake, we want to tone it down. And I say, you just made the wrong decision. Because new people want God. That's why, they, that's why they're new. That's why they came. And they show up in a place and they say, what's going on over there? And that's, that's God. Really? And so now they're, they're keen to find out more about it. So I've always been at a bit of a loss as to why everybody doesn't like this stuff. <laughs> but there we are, you know. I mean, I think if you go full on with the Holy Spirit, you may not have a mega church in the shorter term. And we can think about why that might be. It's because it scares people. You know, the supernatural scares people. You tell them a ghost story, and it scares them. You tell them a Holy Ghost story, and it really scares them. <laughs> but when they really prioritize the issues of life, that is, there's a war going on, or the sky is falling, now, now they really want it. Yeah? So... Yeah, you asked me, how do I do, how did I do it? I mean, we just kept thinking we were having fun. <laughs> so I have, we have a f high fun factor in all this. Because there was a time we didn't know that church was supposed to be fun and that God was fun. I didn't know that. We thought it was serious. You know, there's, every second there's a soul dying going to hell without Christ. And that's serious stuff, isn't it? But you don't help it by being miserable and being serious. <laughs> you're you're going to win people if you're happy and say, hey, come on, good news. You can be radicalized by the Holy Spirit and life can be amazing. And this short life that you have um, can be a whole lot of fun with, with the Holy Spirit doing it together with him. And so that's just kind of our take on it. I'm a bit of a... You know, we did the disc test, and it had, a, it had animals instead of D, I, and S, and all that stuff. And it was, it, there was a lion, there was an otter, there was a beaver, and there was a golden retriever. And everybody went, you are the otter, the playful, slide-down-the-bank kind of otter. That's, 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 that's me. I just love to have fun. And so... That, that's a big part of it, realizing that the joy of the Lord is our strength, and joy is a good thing. That's why all the laughter, and, and it's amazing to have fun in his presence. And Carol had to learn that, because growing up, she, she wasn't allowed to really have a lot of fun. And so she does now, and we learn to play in the anointing. And Margaret Paloma from the University of Akron, Ohio, she found me a book by a theologian named Jean-Jacques uh, from Belgium, and he wrote The Theology of Play. And I just found that was a fascinating book. So um, lighten up, right? You'll win more people.
Yeah. Just explain. And it's great to have Christianity that needs to be explained. <laughs> it's bad when people have no questions. Oh, yeah, it's in all that. So, yeah, it's boring, you know, this guy. But when they come in, what the heck was that? What was that guy doing? Why is that guy blowing raspberries? Why is this? Oh, yeah. So you have to explain it. It's prophetic. I love how Dan is so prophetic. I mean, I've known him before and after. And, uh, you know, it's just amazing to watch. I mean, did you notice him this morning? He's, he's walking like this. And Pete's kids were calling him the flamingo man at one time because he, <laughs> he would stand on one leg for the longest while. But he was like in the walking in the river. Yeah, it's, it's, it's just fascinating to me, in part because none of that stuff ever happens to me, but it happens to Carol. And so I'm like, babe, what are you feeling? What are you seeing? What are you, I'm, I'm, I'm flying, fly higher, you know. And, uh, and then, then some of those things, they, they would become like a, a hot button to her. Because this one time she had a vision of, of a white horse, you know, and Jesus came charging up to her on a, on a white horse and said, Carol, get on and ride. And she's like, I, I, I don't know how to ride. And, and he says, okay, then jump up behind me. And away they went. And so there was a powerful vision she had. And so whenever I would say, Carol, the white horse is rise, riding, it would just set her right off, you know, and she'd be gone into the heavenlies just shaking and the whole thing and yeah so my wife is like a lightning rod with a lot of this stuff Michael raising up sons and daughters yeah yeah we we have a we have a really high value on on raising up sons and daughters to us in the ministry. Um, so we have a long, we have a lot of them actually. Do you guys know Ivan and Isabel? And so Ivan's one of the early ones. He, he, he got saved as a 16 year old on, and, uh, in, out of our youth center in Stratford when we first started our church. And they, lived with us when they first got married and so you know they, they've just been a son and a daughter and 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 Alan and AJ who are now in Nashville is another one certainly Duncan and Kate Steve and Sandra um, and John and Patricia and many others and and so we just love the idea of sharing at a heart level the the ins and outs and ups and downs of ministry with people so that they kind of can get in the flow and not get hurt and beat up and, and give up along the way because there's too many casualties. So um, on the one hand, Scripture says don't call anyone your father. You have a father in heaven. 
Jesus said that, so we need to pay attention to that. But on the other hand, Paul was a father to Timothy, my son, Timothy, son in the faith, and it was imparted to him through the laying on of Paul's hands. So, you know, you can you, you go light on that, but nevertheless, you, you become a spiritual mom and dad to many people who are bonded to you. And so we have Stuart and Lindley. Lindley's coming to lead our our revelation or prophetic school that starts Monday in Toronto. She's in New Zealand, with, went back home there, to, and they're planting a church in New Zealand. And so these, these people are sons and daughters to us. They're, they're just joined at the heart, and uh, we love each other. And it, <laughs> in a way, the earth's too big a place to have them scattered all over. But anyway, that's what, that's what that is. And so... I would encourage you guys, all of you, to intentionally gather up some young people, young couples, men and women, and uh, let them become your spiritual sons and daughters. And the healthiest thing, in my opinion, is where the, the women are valued equally because they have different giftings and different sensitivities. And so... Carol and I model team ministry and in honor prefer one another. And we teach our sons and daughters to do the same thing and uh, get your heart healed up and, uh, and uh, have a revelation of the Father's love, you know, and have a, have a regular checkup once a year minimum type of thing so that you can, you can function at a heart level and appreciate people's differences. And, uh, you know, sometimes understanding women is a challenge for men. Well, I'll tell you a story about that that you probably have heard, Cameron. But when we were spending that intense time, a year and a half, with the Lord, uh, it developed a, like an intimacy so I could hear him really close. And, and, and so that's just stuck with me now. And so... Uh, I can remember in the early days of this revival telling the Lord, I don't understand what you're doing. Why, why do you like piles of people? Why this? Why that? Why the other? Oh, God. You know, so it's good to ask questions. But I kept saying to him, I don't understand you. I don't understand. I don't understand. I do not understand you. Why would you, why would you do that? And one day, I guess in exasperation, he said, John, you don't even understand women. Why would you think you'd understand me? <laughs> and so I'm like, that's true. That is absolutely true. And so I got a hold of a secular book called Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. How many have read that book? If you haven't read that book, you want to read it. If you've read it, you need to read it again. Because I'm reading it. Okay, I'm reading it at night aloud to Carol. And I'd come across something. I can't think of any specifics right now. But anyway, there would be something. And I'd go, what? I mean, come on. Is that really how you would think about that situation? And she'd be like, yeah. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh, women are different, you know. 
And you know, you can summarize it by, by, by men are always wanting to fix the problem Amen. and women are only really wanting to be heard first. And then generally they're smart enough to fix the problem themselves. They just want, they just want to be heard and, and they want emotional support. How many have seen that little YouTube clip about my, my sweater? I'm with a, okay, so the, there's a girl who's got a nail driven into her forehead. And she's telling her husband, I don't know, my sweaters are pulled and, and uh, you know, my head hurts. And, and, and he's trying to say, honey, we just need to pull. And, and you know, there you go again. You're always trying to fix everything. I'm trying to tell you my heart on this. I mean, it was just a scream, you know. But, and I, I suppose that's a generalization and it's not even true, whatever. But the books seem to summarize Men always want to fix it right away, and women always want to be heard uh, and supported emotionally first. Would that be fair to say? Well, I didn't know that. So imagine now uh, how, <laughs> how complexing and perplexing it would be when God is doing things. Why would we ever get the notion that we should understand everything he's doing before we give it a thumbs up. I mean, who are you to be the final arbitrator here? God's going to do stuff that you don't get. As long as it's him, I want it. And uh, generally, he'll, he'll tell you later. Because I asked him, why do you like it when people fall down? Do you have an answer for that? Randy was asked one day, Randy Clark, uh, why, do, why does everybody fall down? And he said, it's because they can't stand up. <laughs> so, I mean, that, that, that will do, but, but I needed a bit more than that, you know, like, why do you like it when everybody falls down? And, uh, and, and here's what he said to me. It's because there's two primary conditions of the human heart. Fear, on the one hand, and pride on the other. So when you're in a public meeting and someone gets prayer, the fearful say, well, I want God, but I'm not doing that in front of everybody. Are you kidding me? And the prideful says, well, I want God, but I'm not doing that. And what that means is, I want God on my terms. How many want God on your terms? How many want God on his terms? Well, he has a high value on humility and he has a high value on routing out pride and fear. And so he just loves doing all that stuff. He, he can humiliate people on the floor. I was, we were in Halifax just a few weeks ago, and it reminded me that one of the first times I went there for ministry, we went to this large church there called Rock Church. And uh, the, the guy, it was a vineyard guy there, wanted me to come, and so he, he rented their facility, but... The church leaders and so on, they were involved too. And the 
pastor was supposed to be taking up the offering. His name was Ted. And in the meeting, Ted got busted by the Holy Spirit. And there he was, draped over one of the big monitor speakers. <laughs> and he couldn't get up. He's just there in front of everybody. And he's trying to say something like, I'm supposed to take up the offering, I think is what he was trying to say. But the more he would be like, uh, the more the place just howled with laughter because he was just this sort of precision together, immaculate kind of guy. And there he was being busted publicly. And he didn't like it, really. Would you? You say, well, God, why would you do that? Huh? Because he needed it, that's why. So you see, you can get close to this stuff, kind of like Saul, you know, when he's after David. David's among the prophets. Let's go get him. He sends a whole troop of soldiers in, and they all start prophesying. And so the anointing that came on them debilitated them. They could not carry out their mission. So he sent another squad of soldiers, and the same thing happened. So he says, ah, I'm going to go get him myself. And he goes marching in there. Guess what happened to Saul? He laid down, took off all his clothes, and prophesied naked all night long. Now, if you were the pastor and that was your church, what would you do? And this, this is the king now. Wow. Don't mess with God. You know, they say don't mess with Texas. Don't mess with God. And so, so we just, we've just enjoyed all this stuff, realizing he wants to keep us humble. And he's got your back. And when people slander you because of this, that, or the other, or misrepresent you, you know, Carol and I went online one time, looked up Toronto Blessing on YouTube. Well, it was so ridiculous that we howled for an hour watching all these various clips. And in all the ones we saw, none of them happened in Toronto. And we weren't even in the shots. It was just people, but they were getting blasted by the Holy Spirit. And then these other commentators were... We're saying, you see how wicked this is? You see how wrong this is? You see how, I mean, and, and it was just God all over the place, and it was just so funny. And, uh, yeah. So, lighten up, right? Have some fun with it. What time are we done, Cameron? We only started at 1.30. Can we go, to, can we go past 3? How far? We just ate. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, <laughs> very good. Yeah, we need a Starbucks stop for sure. Mary, yes.
Yeah, that's, come on up, Dan. We'll share. And you know what? I'm always telling Dan, just explain it quickly. Because he never feels to explain it. But, you know, there's people out there like, who is that guy? What the heck is he? Okay. Well, <laughs> the thing, the, first of all, the thing that's helped me is that years ago, back in the 80s, these encounters started happening to me personally with God, not in a public place. So what I shared with you the other night, yesterday, about the, um, the, the Baptist church where we were just laughing in my office. That was just me and my friend. And, and so I knew that was God, and, and so I, I received the joy there. And then a couple of times I went to Wimber's meetings, and I saw massive joy break out in the 80s, periodically, not a lot, but periodically. And then, um, so when it, it started happening to my body, I mean, it was, it was strange, but I, I think I needed to probably like, uh, it helped me to have a couple of models. As an example, uh, well, I just gotta just, you know, speak about this brother named Daryl Stott who uh, was, is a friend, was a friend of ours. He just recently passed away. I don't know if you're aware of that. Um, and and Daryl, both in Toronto, no, I first I saw him in England, and then we brought him to Ukraine, and I've, the glory just hit in his meetings, and his body was reacting. And then through, through Daryl and then Randy Clark praying for me. And uh, I was at a Rodney Howard Brown's meeting one time in Germany where, where I was just sitting there. And he wasn't even preaching. I think he was just doing announcements or something. And I was in this big hall in Frankfurt, Germany. And literally this fire just came on my body. And I was burning up. It was physically painful and hot. I had to get up off my seat. And I, I ran around the auditorium, ran, trying to run away from this fire that was following me. And so I had to stop and evaluate that personally. No one talked to me about it at all. And, and, so, then, and so as these things happened to me, and then I realized that when these manifestations would start happening publicly, excuse me, that presence was released in the manifestations. And when I figured that out, I had, a, I had to have a dealing with the Lord personally. That to say, Lord, this is, you know, this is very unusual. And I did not learn this at Bible school. <laughs> there was no course in this. And there is a part of my mind that still thinks, you know, there's people actually watching this. And, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I still have a mind, you know. <laughs> Arriba. And so I personally had to make decisions to humble myself and let the Lord take my body. So I say it often. Many years I gave the, my body to the Lord and to my surprise, he took it. So uh, I deal, 
in my heart and in my body. It's kind of an intimacy, it's an intimate thing with the Lord as these things happen. Because I'm, I'm talking to the Lord as it's happening and he's talking to me. And it's become a very, it's become very intimate between me and the Holy Spirit. Like a friendship between us. And uh, then, so that helps, that helps that to have that intimate thing in the heart that, yes, the Lord is saying this is good, it's okay. But what really helped me then also was we've developed a theology of the body. Because as a leader in the movement, uh, like I said, I have a mind, and I wanted, to, I wanted to develop an apologetic for why this happens and actually why it should happen. And so over the years, I have actually developed an apologetic for the, for the body. I need to write a book on it. I really need to write a book on it. It's, very, it's all over the scriptures. Psalm 63, 1 and 2. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. So your, your body needs God. Not just your heart, but your body needs God. And scientifically, we know that our cells have memories. So our, the scientists can prove that back. From way, way, way back. So if, if you really believe, and I, obviously we believe in a physical Adam, we were in Adam, not just spiritually, but physically in the garden. So if the cells and the DNA has been passed on to us, as it has been, there's part of us, and cells have memory, there's part of us that remember being in paradise. And we are, are, are looking for that. Whether it be in alcohol or whether it be in, in drugs or, 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 or you know, sexuality, you know, whatever it might be. Where, where do I get that pleasure of loving God? And so there is an apologetic, and I won't get into it all. But just to answer your question, it's, it's helped me a lot to understand that... Uh, that a Hebrew under a, a Hebrew concept of worshiping God has to ha, has to include the activity of the body. The Greek concept has separated the body from the soul, but we are an intricate being, spirit, soul, and body. They all work together. What happens in my spirit affects my body. What happens in my body affects my spirit. And it's just honoring the anointing, really. And I yeah. So maybe that. Very good, Dan. Um, Mary, I've, I've had to realize that people are wired differently, and Carol and Dan are, are wired prophetically. And, and uh, mine, I, mine is primarily a faith gifting, I think. And, and there, we, we just love it all. But Dan has faith too, and so does Carol. I'm not saying that, but just that it, there's a primary wiring there. And then with the individuals... Uh, some people are like fire starters. More, they're more like kindling wood. And so with kindling wood, you can't start a fire without it. And then so you, you have fine split wood, and you get it burning, and then you put uh, split wood on, but it's bigger pieces. And then ultimately you put the big chunks on because they need the bed of coals and everything to really get that going. But you never light a big chunk of wood with a match. Right? And so... We need all, all the different um, aspects of this 
to, to really build the kingdom or build the fire, as the case may be. So I, I surveyed the audiences for, for a number of years, and it was, we, for want of a better term, we used to say the easy, the medium, and the hard. But that never did it because nobody wanted to be in the hard category except that that's, that was where I was. So they took comfort, you know, misery loves company. And, uh, but but th that was just about a third and a third and a third. There are some people who are so sensitive to the Holy Spirit that they're going to get hit whether they like it or not, whether they want it or not. And there's others that they, they, they can feel it sort of on them, but they're saying, oh, I don't think so, not here, not now, but maybe in the prayer time later, then I'll just give in to this. But then there are other people, even when they're trying to receive, there's not a lot happening, seemingly. And I would gather up all those people and try and spend a bit of extra time with them and say, look, you receive by faith. Whether you feel it or not, you receive it by faith. So we pray for them all, and say, okay, now come with me, and I get you to pray for this lightning rod over here. And when they lay hands on them, the person just goes off, and they're like, wow, God used me. You know, so there was just a, an appreciation of the differences that we had. Okay, uh, let me talk just a little bit. Uh, I think I touched on it before yesterday, but just, just, just to go into it a little bit, and that is, uh, four aspects of what we're looking for that I find helpful. And the first is character. So I'm going to talk about character, competency, motive, and history. Right? And there's other things and there's subcategories. But just so that you start. Character. God wants you to be a man or a woman of godly character. And what's that look like? That means you keep your promises. That means you're more or less on time. That means you're, you handle the scriptures with integrity. That means you don't excuse sin. That means you, you know, you're fun to be around. That, that means a whole lot of things that have to do with a person of integrity. Right? And it means your, your moral life is honorable. You don't have a secret life of immorality or a secret life of gambling or a secret life of something going on. And if you do, you, you have enough integrity to come and ask for help about those things, right? How many want to be a man and a woman of integrity? Next is competency. Are you good at what you do? And I often use the example of a dentist. Uh, if a dentist is a man of great integrity, but he's incompetent when you get in the dentist chair, <laughs> are you going to go back to him? Or how about an accountant? Or how about a doctor? Or how about a pastor? Right? What if he can't preach with a hoot, but he's a really nice guy and, and you know... And then when you get into the anointing, is he anointed? Does, does the Holy Spirit move in his ministry? Does the supernatural things happen? So we want to be competent in the anointing, don't we? How many want that? 
Okay, now here's the problem. When people turn up to be very gifted in the anointing, they think that that is an endorsement from God on their lack of integrity and their dishonesty and their immorality and everything else. God doesn't seem to care about all that. Look how he's using me. I can remember as a young Christian being just totally confused when somebody that I respected that was anointed, in my opinion, all of a sudden was found out having an affair with someone. How many have gone through that one? And you think, how can this be? And it, and it can get quite serious. I mean, a guy who was about to be appointed the national leader of a Pentecostal denomination was found out just before the appointment that he was having an affair. And when all that broke, suddenly there's a second one. Then there's a third one. And then there's a fourth one. And by the time it all ended up, it was like over 20 years. There had been about 22 of them. And then the body of Christ gets shamed again. But see, people want to use their anointing or their giftedness to validate their lifestyle. Um, but don't do that. What you want to do is take care of the integrity side by getting a revelation of the Father's love and then getting life's hurts healed up in a measure so that you can actually be a person of integrity. Nobody's perfect, we're not saying that, but just work through your stuff, right? Then the, the third point would be your motive. Okay, you know, the integrity looks good, the anointing looks good, but why are you doing what you do? Motive is very important by the Lord. Um, he tests your heart. I hear what you're saying, but I wonder if you say that when you're going through hard times. Anybody can, anybody can make it when everything's going their way. How are you when nothing's going your way? And he will try you and test you. Life will do that. And so the motive of your heart needs to be right with God. How many want to have the right motive? What is the right motive? So I'm doing this for the king and the kingdom. I don't think there's any other motivation. I'm not doing it for the money. Even though the money's not bad anymore. You know. It used to be bad. But you know, it's, it's, it's amazing how God looks after us, isn't it? And we, we find out that when you start to give, he gives back unto you. And so he really, he's full of integrity. He keeps his promises. And then there's track record. There is your history. And sometimes this, the right person will show up. Wow, here's the perfect children's worker, and they're trained in this and that, and they got the degree, and I like the way they talk, and I like this and that about them. And Wow, they're anointed, and they can really sing, or they can really lead worship or they can really prophesy or whatever. But what's your track record? You've been to 10 different churches in the last 10 years? What's up with that? Ah, oh, well, those, that last bunch that I was with, you know, they were just so this or that. And there's always someone else's problem that, you know, you know blame shifting and, yeah. There needs to be some history that testifies to 
a life of integrity and a life of giftedness and a life of competency. Does that make sense? And so I like to hold those four things up to myself, to Carol and I, first of all. I like to hold them up to our leaders, first of all. I remind them of these things all the time. And then I share it with with other leaders, you know, because there's a book out I recommend called uh, Finishing Strong by Steve Farrar, where he points out that in America, uh, 90% of Christian leaders do not finish strong. So, like, how can that be? Now, they don't all have a moral failure, but they just get burned out. They get used up. They just, uh, they're just spending way too much energy trying to keep a lid on their stuff so that the, the, the burnout uh, is a whole lot more likely. And so we, we just need to be real about these things. This, the job that you're in is, like, who can do this? People want a perfect pastor who's super anointed, like Benny Hinn, who can you know, just be there for them at three in the morning, whenever they, you know, I mean, it's just as on and on that demands of people. And you have to be able to roll with it or take care of it. And, you know, I never answer my phone at three in the morning. It goes off when I go to bed, you know. But uh, it didn't used to. And so you need to, you need to care for them and make sure they get care. And, but don't leave them in their need. Get them in a discipleship process where they're dealing with the issues of their own heart. They're getting a revelation of the Father's love. They're getting inner healing and deliverance and getting empowering and equipping and anointing and growing up into maturity so that they don't need near the maintenance they did when you first met them, right? So... I'll leave that one with you, and our time's just about gone. You have a quick question? Yeah. When we think of discipleship, we think of, of the word, get the word, and we think of discipline, which is what discipleship means. And those are really good things. I mean, I think one of the primary reasons people mess up so much is they don't really read the Word anymore. They, they just pick and choose. And they listen to their favorite teacher and take a sound bite here and there and run with that. But you need the whole counsel of God. And uh, my gosh, you know, take, take a season and just get the Word into you. Carol and I did it uh, two years ago where the Lord spoke and said, I I want you to strengthen your faith in the Word of God. I'm like, Lord, I totally believe the Word of God. What do you mean? He said it again. So I said, well, all right, well, what do we do? I'm thinking, Lord, what do we do? And he said, well, you remember that Chuck Missler series on Genesis that you had? Why don't you get that out and watch it? Well, I couldn't find it. But I did find it on YouTube, so I watched it on YouTube. It was fantastic. I said, wow, what else has he got? And he got into some amazing things. I don't agree with him on everything, but, but he's pretty good. And, uh, but, but one of the things is, uh, how many would like some homework for the Word of God? Okay, go to YouTube, Chuck Missler, 
M-I-S-S-L-E-R, Matthew series, session one. It will blow your mind. So what's it about? Well, he's basically talking about a guy named Ivan Painin, who was a Russian immigrant to America back in 1880-whatever, went to Harvard, graduated PhD in mathematics, and he got saved at Harvard. And he spent the 50 years of his life studying the mathematics of the New Testament. And you're like, what? The mathematics of the Greek New Testament will blow you away. How many knew the Bible was inspired? You have no idea how inspired it is. <laughs> and the Old Testament is the same. There's, there's some good ones in there about um, the most amazing verse in the Bible, it's called, YouTube, the most amazing verse in the Bible. It goes to Genesis 1.1. It talks about this pattern of sevens over and over again. There's seven Hebrew words, and they, they total up their totals as a multiple of seven, and this and that, and the other, and seven, seven, seven. I mean, it's just incredible, the wisdom of God that's in there. And so when Jesus said, uh, it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one letter in the law to fail. I used to think, well, he's just making a, you know, a poetic statement that the Bible's true. No, he's saying it's easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one letter in the law to fail. And you think, oh my gosh. So let it, let it build your faith in the word of God. And you need rose-colored glasses to read the word of God. You need to understand that, that underneath it all is his love. And so you interpret everything through the eyes of the loving father. But still, every word is true in there. Every single word. All the ancient prophecies in Ezekiel about Israel, they're true. They're coming to pass right under your noses. And all the prophecies about the return of Jesus, they're true. All the word of Jesus that the gospel of the kingdom will be preached to all the nations of the world, that's true. Do you imagine how ridiculous that sounded 2,000 years ago? Say, Lord, there's only 120 of us. Like, what? We're, this is going to the whole world? They didn't even have a worldview that is like what we have today. They didn't even know how big it is. But here we are. It's going to the whole world, and people are coming to Christ uh, like there is no tomorrow. And so what a time to be alive. We are here alive for such a time as this. The greatest harvest the world has ever seen is about to break out upon us. And when it does, we don't want to be scrambling around trying to figure out how to clean the fish and how to fix people. You know, we have to know that, get practiced in that now so that when thousands come in, you'll have team to hand them over to. Yeah? All right, five after three, let's all stand, shall we? Um, I was going to give you a message, but anyway, that, that's it, the four points. Uh, just put them out there as a checklist. Make sure you can tick all four boxes for your own heart, right? Lord, I thank you for this group of leaders.
that took a couple of days out to come together just to be encouraged, to be refreshed, to be filled up in the anointing. And we're still thirsty enough, Lord, to come unto you and drink. And we want those rivers of living water to bubble up out of our innermost being. I thank you that we have the word and we have the spirit. And the spirit and the bride are crying out, saying, come. And so we say, come. Maranatha, Lord. Come and take your rightful place. And remind us all, Lord, that, that your return is not what we think. It's what you think about that. People say, well, I'm not ready for the Lord to return. Well, you may not be, but he certainly is. He's anxious to return for his bride. And so, Maranatha, Lord Jesus, come in your perfect time and bring in the harvest of souls and send us out into the marketplace to bring the kingdom of God and to dispel the confusion and the pain and the shame and the fear and the anger and the hurt and Dissolve all the mistrust. Lord, rebuild trust in this nation again. Rebuild it among leaders. Rebuild it among politicians. Rebuild it among pastors. Let us be trustworthy people of integrity so that we can rebuild to what you would have us to be. Bless each and every one of these ones in Jesus' name.